Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz composer Daniel Herzog on the 2023 CD called Open Spaces. We caught up with him about this brand new project that taps into the universal qualities of folk music for the second release by his Daniel Herzog Jazz Orchestra, featuring his arrangements of traditional tunes like Shenandoah and Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. Out on the Stellar Cellar Live Music label, his dynamic 17-piece ensemble features stellar voices like guitar modernist Kurt Rosenwinkel, multi-reed virtuoso Scott Robinson, and tenor saxophonist Noah Preminger, along with pianist Frank Karlberg. It's a great story. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, Joe. Hey, Daniel. What's up, man? How you doing? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's been kind of a sketchy morning with the internet, so I was trying to be safe. So I think we're, uh, I think we're in good shape. Perfect. So it's been a while since we uh, spoke last. I think we talked before the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. So. I know what simple times those were. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days, right? <laughs> so I think that's where I want to begin before we get into the brand new album. You know, you're always just putting out wonderful work and you're you're busy all the time. And, and I'm sure the pandemic was quite a thing. How did you survive that three year period and how has it changed you? Well, I mean, I think how I survived was directly related to the making of this record. Um, I I started to look at things very differently during during the pandemic. I've always been a city slicker, someone who likes, you know, the urban environment. And then during this pandemic, I started kind of yearning for open spaces, you know, like not being around people all the time, all these kind of things perhaps I'd overlooked. And that was a real inspiration to, to making the record. And I'm, I think like everyone else, I embraced kind of a simpler way of life. I had my little routines, what time I would go for a walk, when I would work on my writing, but I'm thrilled to be kind of on the other side of it and no longer teaching on zoom and, you know, back at it and being able to get my band together and being able to play music again, safely with people. So speaking of this album being kind of a saving grace, how did you get, how did you orchestrate this? You always have a lot of people that are a part of the project. How did you, how did this kind of begin and how did it come to its successful completion? Well, I started off with the idea of wanting to reimagine folk music. Um, And so I began kind of in earnest with the writing on that. And as, as the composing was taking shape, I realized I really wanted guitar on this record, which is a, a voice that I hadn't used previously. Um, but something about guitar to me really spoke to the folk elements of this record. Um, so that was how I ended up bringing in guitar and was fortunate enough to have Kurt Rosenwinkel uh, join us on guitar and lend his beautiful tone to the record. And then one of the other pieces was Shenandoah that I was working on and I wanted to do it as a baritone saxophone feature. And that was one where I just kind of asked myself, like, who would I most in the world love to hear play this arrangement? And then that led me to reach out to Scott Robinson. Um, This album was the first time we've worked together. uh, But since then, I've brought him to come to a residency at the university I teach at. Um, We've played together in New York. He's come and played with me again in Vancouver. So it's that was the birth of a great musical friendship there. So I, I think that's the other part of this is that did some of the schedules for these players free up a little bit over 
COVID to make it a little bit easier or how, how did you got such big names on here? Absolutely. It, it did. And I think like a perfect example of that is Ben Kono who played beautiful Reed one on this record playing oboe and soprano saxophone. He's a Broadway guy. He, his career is playing Broadway shows and, and Broadway, I think, was still basically shuttered when we when we did the recording. It had certainly not fully come back. Um, so he was available. And then I just I'm very fortunate in the sense that I think a lot of people made time to make the, the project work because someone like Dan Weiss, I'm sure he constantly has offers for tours and, and recording. Same same with Noah Preminger. But you know, I'm very grateful that they prioritized this session and we're all able to make it. So how how was how did they how did everything come together? You have all of these people that are, you know, veterans, modern legends and everybody. And you always have all of these voices coming together. How well did all of this gel and, and happen during the construction of this album? Well, it, it it was great from the moment they got off the plane. They went straight from the airport to the first rehearsal and I was conducting them and I was blown away. Like I knew it would be good, but I didn't know it would be this good kind of thing. And I heard them playing and they played brilliantly and they had also prepared very diligently. I'd sent out music. So they came in knowing my music um, and it, there was nothing about notes and rhythms in these rehearsals. It was just straight to the music, straight to the essence of it. And that allowed the project, even though we had a we had a, a rehearsal, a gig, and two days of recording, by the time we finished the first rehearsal, we were we were ready to go. I mean, isn't that kind of the nature of jazz is that because it's improv and because you're always going into this land of unknown, when you get seasoned players together, it's just kind of like just you're just putting on the shoes and walking i yeah and and what you said there being the land of the unknown that to me is the most exciting part about working with people like this i particularly compose in a way where there will be some unknown to me i have some more open sections where the players kind of take the helm and it's a surprise to me what will happen so having the trust in the musicians to take me into that land of the unknown is probably my favorite part about jazz composition. So how does your brain work as a composer with all of these different voicings? I mean, do you have all of these sounds while you're putting this down? How does Daniel's brain work to get all of this together? Well, it starts out very simply in an old school way with a, a piece of manuscript paper and a pencil. And then I try and compose and orchestrate separately. So I have... I've sort of determined the pitches and the rhythms and the structure of a piece before I go about choosing which instrument will play them. And then it's just about coloring the sounds. Do I want do I want part of this to sound warmer? Do I want part of it to sound darker? You know, is there some sort of mood I'm trying to kind of interject into a part and how can how can the instruments I have at my disposal help me sort of tell that story? So do you ever just kind of lean back after a project like this and think, wow, I, it's just the fact that it all came together. It's a packaged idea. It's in your hands. Does it ever just blow you away? How many things? And almost because it almost seems like a you're 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 constructing a Hollywood film. There's so many people, so many players, so many things. And it all has to come together. 
Yeah, I, I sort of sit back and then I'm riddled with insecurity and I think, okay, I got lucky. I will never do this again. Um, <laughs> I'm staring at blank manuscript paper. I realize I've had my last good idea. <laughs> you know, so yeah. yeah, there is a bit of a hangover period from an album like this where I, I listen to it. I'm like, wow, how did I do that? I'm not going to be able to do this again. Yeah. Well, and that's the beauty of jazz, right? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're doing one thing once over and over again. I'm doing one thing. How how am I doing it over again? That's well, because you're going to you're going to come back in and you're going to you're going to have another album. You're going to have another performance. Oh, yeah, it's exactly. The uniqueness of it. But I'm I'm hoping that that I will have kind of a, a new muse, like a different spark True. for the next album. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you hoping ultimately that the listener gets from this album? I'm hoping that the listener is kind of inspired to maybe go back and check out some of the original works, even though my interpretations are sort of far from the originals, that maybe it'll resonate. Maybe it'll remind them why it was a joy to listen to Gordon Lightfoot sing Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald or to listen to Bob Dylan singing Blowing in the Wind. So I hope they connect to it that way. And I hope they sort of connect on an emotional level that even, even though there's some kind of wild and crazy jazz and, and there's, you know, symphonic orchestration, that I hope it still feels a little folk-like. I hope there's still those kind of comforting, comforting sounds for people. Well, you know, in the backbone of a lot of those songs that you even mentioned there in folk songs is that it really does rally people and it becomes the voice of things that are happening, happening socially and politically. And you talk about a socially and politically charged time that we're living in right now. Is yeah. that was that kind of a, a texture, a part of what you were going after to kind of resuscitate these voices that were really leading an artistic march at the time they came out? I, I think that was that was part of it. And also it was a very divided time. And to me, these songs were, were things that people did together. These singing these songs were a group experience. You know, these sort of campfire songs that they united people. So anything coming up live performances to to roll this out what what are your plans kind of as we march forward here We did a we did an album release concert at the uh, Vancouver International Jazz Festival which was great um I'm hoping fingers crossed to be playing this music in in Turkey in fall of 24 I have an offer for that so I will keep people posted on that. And then my next thing is uh, we're welcoming a friend of mine, a Brazilian pianist, Enrique Eisenman, um, to Vancouver. And I'm reimagining some music by Hermeto Pasquale and um, Antonio Carlos Chopin. And we're doing sort of a Brazilian-inspired show with Enrique. Right on. So, you know, the one thing that, that was emblematic of this pandemic was that like you had mentioned, there was a lot of people that lived in cities and they wanted to get out into more rural areas and even places where rent wasn't so crazy. You know, there was a survival mm -hmm. instinct that went into it. But now that the dust is settled, we're getting back to things. Does it seem as though the jazz community is stronger than ever? 
I think so. I think we're all maybe a little more grateful um, that we can do what we do, though I find jazz musicians to be oftentimes quite kind of grateful that we get to participate in this amazing tradition. But it is wonderful to be able to think big again and to have projects again and recording sessions and tours. I think a lot of there was a lot of pent up creative energy. And now we're seeing a lot of amazing records come out. We're seeing kind of the results of people maybe getting more time they had to devote to projects than maybe they thought they would. So if anyone wants to pick up this album, best place for them to pick it up and anything, you know, like you mentioned shows, anything about your world, where can they go? Sure. It's on Bandcamp. I'm I'm on a fantastic level or sorry, fantastic label seller music. Um, it can be checked out there along with a ton of great other records they've put out. Um, my website has links to it. I'm all over social media. Sadly, I'm I'm very, very easy to find on there. So, you know, I do lots of avenues I promote my stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. And I do want to specifically point out, I just did a show this week that I, I tend to kind of bounce between between modern and the old school, but I did everything modern. There must have been like five albums on Cellar Live. And I just want to bring up Corey, we and Corey Weeds and what he does and how much stellar music because I know every time I get a Cellar Live album, it's always going to be spot on. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Brad Turner has a new one coming out and yes. he's a he's a hero of mine. So Corey does so much, and I I always notice that when I'm in New York and I meet a musician I haven't met and I tell them I'm from Vancouver, usually the first question out of their mouth is, do you know Corey Weeds? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that show, actually, I kicked off was with Brad Turner. That was the first track, and I love his work. Like, anytime Brad's got something, I, I leap on it. So it's, it's great, yeah. for sure. So... Daniel, it's great to catch up with you and kind of as the dust is settled, you got an album. It, it's wonderful to see all you cats back out at it. It was it was it was it was hard during the pandemic, man, to, to hear everybody with the pen up energy and canceled shows. So it, it's nice to see that the floodgates are just the Noah's Ark is just going. So, well, and thank you so much for, for your interest in it and helping spread the word. I was thrilled to chat again. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Vancouver, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Daniel for coming on back to Neon Jazz for his time and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.